Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 6. We're talking about you will have storms in this life, and we can all groan. <laughs> oh, man, so glad I woke up to come to church this morning. Um, so far in John, it's been a wild ride. Remember uh, just recently, Jesus sent out the 12, two by two. They were given authority over all demons. They were told to preach the word. They were told to heal the sick. They came back to Jesus just flying high and going, man, I laid hands on people and I watched them get healed. I was a fisherman last week. This week I'm casting out demons. So they're, they're way up here. And then they hear the news. John the, John the Baptist had his head removed for being salt. He was bold enough to tell people, you are in sexual sin. They thought, I don't want to hear about that. And the best way to, to silence you is to remove your head. So they went from extremely high down in the pits. Now they're like in Egypt feeling a, dar a darkness you could feel. Remember the ninth plague was three days of darkness that you could feel. And it's at this point Jesus said, guys, let's take a vacation. He said, look, there's a, a deserted place over by Bethsaida on the east side of the Jordan. We'll just go over there. And, and have some hang time, just you and I, me. And they get there, and they're interrupted by at least, there's 5,000 men, we believe, on top of that there were women and children. So imagine going on a vacation with Jesus to a deserted place, and there's maybe 15,000 people waiting for you, 15,000 needy, needy people. You go, man, this is not what I signed up for. And so that's when Jesus fed the 5,000 men with the loaves and the fish. And after that miracle, they're going, wow, uh, what, what next? Well, actually, there's going to be a storm next. And so that's where we pick it up in John chapter 6. Um, and you, you turned there. Uh, without, without my other mic, I need a third hand. not going to work. Okay, John chapter 6, reading from the New King James, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived, now this, the, he's dismissing the guys, go across the, across the uh, sea. When he perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, some people come to Jesus with an agenda. They, they think, you know, Jesus, you'd fit into my life really great in a political way. Or, or I've, I've carved out this area of my life where I, I can have you fit in. And Jesus said, no, I don't fit in. I take over. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So here they are trying to take him. He will be king someday. But they're trying to do this uh, on their own time, their own agenda. And he would have none of it. So then we pick it up in the next verse. Now, when evening came, his disciples went to, down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. So they're heading west. It was already dark. Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, have you ever rowed that far? That's a long ways. After three or four miles... They saw Jesus walking on, on the sea and drawing near to, to the boat. They were afraid. But he said to them, I love this, 
It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they, were, they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. Let's do this. Let's con contrast Scripture with Scripture. Now I'm, I'm going to turn to uh, Philip, or, um, Matthew chapter 14 and read a different account of the same thing. So we just read John's account. He leaves out a lot of things. In Matthew, we're picking it up in Matthew uh, 14. Uh, beginning in 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. So now we see a missing ingredient. Jesus commands them to go into the water to get into the storm. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there, uh, he was alone there. It's just interesting about Jesus. He's very comfortable in front of thousands and thousands of people. And now he's very comfortable just him and his father. Just a guy who's very comfortable in his own skin, if you will. He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that's 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walk, uh, uh, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. I don't know if you had any Casper the Friendly Ghost fans out there. I think that's just, I wish they had a video of this. It would have been hysterical. Jesus walking on the sea, and, and then these guys are just freaking out. It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it's I, I don't be afraid. And, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, now this is a huge part of the sermon, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had came down from the, or Peter had come down from the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said to him, now this part troubles me. Oh, ye of little faith. Why didn't you, why did you doubt? I think I would have doubted seriously. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came, notice this, and worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Guys, if there was ever a time to take notes, this is one of those sermons. I've done this before several times, but I realized studying this past week, I've forgotten more than I've remembered. And this is one you will go through storms. Maybe you're not in one today. Give it a week or two. You'll have one. And you'll, you'll want to know what to do in that storm. So let's pray, Lord, I pray you help us focus, that we would present to you a heart of devotion, and a mind, a soul, a spirit that's so willing to receive. Thank you, you're with us in our storm. Speak to us now, Lord. I pray you'd comfort your people. You'd challenge us, and, and you'd uh, give us wisdom on what you're doing in our lives this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so storms are a given. You're going to have storms. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Storms are a given. My attitude in the storm is not so much a given. If I'm an example of faith, if I'm an ambassador, if I'm uh, a model to others of this is how you, you trust God in, in the storm. Now, four things that John leaves out of his account. We saw some of them in Matthew. So Matthew's gospel has the, uh, Matthew and Mark, they both thought that they saw ghosts, all right? They, Matthew talks about Peter walking on the water. We're going to talk about that. And then Matthew concludes his worship where Mark concludes with something completely different. Mark ends by talking about how the hearts of the disciples were hardened. The same word can mean dull or numb. And as I'm studying that, I'm going, Lord, I don't want to present to you a heart that's numb. I mean, I want to give you something you can work with. I don't want to be hardened or, or dull or numb. So I don't want that part. So here's our outline. First thing, obedience can lead you into a storm. You might go, whoa, what did I do wrong? You might have done something right. You might be doing something right by obeying the Lord because the scenario, again, he had just finished, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. And from reading Matthew's account, he tells them, you go over to the other side. So they're following instructions. And that's what got them in, involved in the storm. He says, go over. And then you go, so, so well, 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 what then? If you're the, the disciples, you go, I'll, uh, go there. And then, and then I'll tell you what's next. So if I'm this guy that really wants to plot and plan and needs everything super organized, I'm going to struggle in faith. Because he's not all that. Sometimes it's very impromptu. Sometimes it's like, you know, like right now, he's in, they're going, oh, so what then? What do we do when we get there? He's laughing, in a sense, going, you have no idea what's going to happen between now and then. And you're worried about what's going to go then. But we want this thing all mapped out. And he wants our eyes on him more than on a certain plan. So we don't get to choose our own storms. We would choose sissy storms. God says, I'm going to send you a hurricane. Now, good things can happen in a hurricane. My son was born 40 years ago this, this November in Kahuku in the middle of the hurricane. So good things can happen. But if, if we're choosing our own storm, nobody's choosing a hurricane or a tornado or a typhoon. We're choosing offshore winds with six-foot surf. We're choosing some nice trade winds. So we don't get to choose our own. So what kind of storms are you possibly facing this morning? Here's just a, a sampling. How about a storm of confusion? Not a big fan of storms of confusion. You know, where nothing seems to make sense. I can't tell who's telling the truth, who's not. I don't know what my solutions are. I don't know what my options are. All I know is it just, it's totally confusing and that Satan is the god of confusion. How about this? Storms of sickness, where you get the phone call. Yes, it's breast cancer. Your world just falls apart. You get the phone call. This has happened to your kid at school. And all of a sudden, everything else 
doesn't even matter. It's a storm of sickness. There are storms of finances. <laughs> Especially lately, people are wondering, do I fill my gas tank up with gas and drive to work, or do I put food on the table? Because for a lot of people, there's some serious storms of finances. Then there's the storms of soul, storms of pain, where, you know, it just, it's undone inside. Where this is where David cried out, Lord, you restore my soul. Psalm 23, verse 3. I just love it. He restores, present tense, because I need it. Going through his storm of the soul. How about storms of relationships? I can tell you. The number one storm Satan wants to do in your life this week involves relationships. And I can prove it because the two greatest commandments are love God. There's one relationship. Love one another. There's another relationship. And Satan goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring a storm in their relationships. That's why remember Paul the Apostle was trying to, to reach the church in Thessalonica. And he said, you know what? So many times I tried to get to you guys. But Satan hindered us. What's he saying? Satan was messing with their relationships, just getting in the way and confusing relationships. So there's storms in relationships as well. Here's the problem. In my storm, in your storm, I'm more aware of my storm than I'm aware of the presence of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I might even scream out, where's Jesus? Oh, you know what? He's praying for me. Literally. He's praying for you. So our first one was obedience could lead you into a storm. Our second one is, why does God even allow storms? Well, there's storms of correction and there's storms of perfection. Storms of correction are for disciplining believers. Case in point would be Jonah the prophet. Jonah, go to Nineveh. You know, that's uh, kind of north. Northeast, Jonah goes due west, just as far away as he could possibly get. And it was a storm of his own making. If he had simply obeyed the Lord, he, there's no storm. But he's saying, I'm, the last thing I'm going to do is obey the Lord and go, listen, Jonah, you're being a knucklehead. You're making the storm come upon yourself. That's why God said to Jeremiah the prophet, I don't have to correct these people. Their own consequences will correct them, meaning their sin brings consequences that will smart. And they don't like facing those consequences, so hopefully they will wake up. So some storms are storms of correction, case in point Jonah, and that's for discipling the believer, I'm sorry, yeah, dis disciplining the believer. Then there's storms of perfection, and these are for developing the believer. That's what these guys are going through, a storm of perfection. You go, well, why would I have to do that? In a storm of perfection, it could be that Jesus just wants me to grow, just wants me to get more intimate with him. That, you know, maybe I've drifted or maybe I'm doing great like these guys were. And this is just the next step. Maybe this is one of those James chapter 4 where Jesus, where the, where the Lord's, the word says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It could be someone here is going through a storm of correction. But most likely, 
many of you here, many of us here, are going through this storm of perfection. It's nothing personal other than God's trying to get us to get even closer to him. But it's at this point, I don't care how long you've been a believer, the most seasoned believer can go, wait, did I do something wrong? But again, maybe you did something right. Like these guys just saw Jesus do the feeding of the 5,000. They obeyed Jesus right into the storm. It's not they did something wrong. They did something right. Now, Jesus, in a sense, could have said this, boys, you saw me. You had faith and you trusted me when you saw me feed the 5,000. Can you trust me now when you don't see me? You're on your own. You wish I was there in the boat with you. Do you trust me even though you don't see me? Now, faith is often developed in a storm. I wish it were developed by taking vitamins. It'd be a lot easier. But I like this illustration. It's like the difference between koa wood and curly koa. Now, I have a picture of curly koa up here. It is crazy beautiful. It's acacia wood. There's like 300 kinds. But the most beautiful is a Hawaiian curly koa, my favorite wood. It looks like someone took it and crinkled it. You know, and it's got all this crazy design in it. So I have a friend on the Big Island, a pastor friend, who harvests koa trees. As a church over there, the entire inside of the church is made out of koa. Beautiful. So he told me once, the way he harvests koa is he goes to the highest mountain or highest point in that area and looks for the, the koa tree on top. He wants the one that's the most exposed to storms because it's the koa tree exposed to the wind and resisting it and fighting it back that makes the curly koa. He says that's what he looks for. And I go, that's what God does in our lives. If I'm, it's when I'm exposed to the, the wind. It's when I'm exposed to that storm and I do it right in God's name. He's developing this curly koa inside. By the way, if you have wood that looks like that, you need to tithe 10% to the church office uh, this week, man. That's beautiful stuff. So faith says, I'm going to do what God says, even though a storm's headed my way. That's what faith says. Faith says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's Job chapter 13. Faith says, the same Lord who allowed the storm is the same Lord who's going to speak to me in the storm, who's going to work with me in the storm, and who will eventually calm the storm. And faith enters the storm with her eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. One good thing about storms, they're governed by God. Meaning, Satan is demanding permission. God will set the limitations. We see this through the book of Job. Satan's demanding. God says, okay, just this far, no more. So for Peter, do you remember the situation where Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter. Over here, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. Now, that's a, this process. It's like this big screen, if you like, kind of like a screen door on the side. And they would shake it violently to get the grain to separate from the junk 
I'm, I guess it's great for your hay fever and asthma and all that. But it was just this violent shaking to get the good separated from the bad. And Jesus is using that illustration with Peter. Peter, you understand what's going on? Peter, you have no idea what's going to happen to you tonight. And you're just here bragging about how good you are. You're better than the rest. And Satan's seen that and says, let me at him. But I pray for you. You're going to allow that, Lord? Yeah. I pray for you that your face would not fail. It got shaky for a long time. But he was restored to Jesus Christ and made stronger as a, as a result of it. So now Jesus sees you in your storm. All right? You're picturing this. He's up on the mountaintop, and he sees his boys out there. They are struggling. It's interesting. He let them struggle for a while. It's not like, oh, no, one one second of a storm, and he, he runs out there. He goes, no, he let them struggle. Now, my dad, being a dad, had to let, let his kids struggle for a while. Uh, you have to understand, I was talking to somebody recently, and this, my dad was like this super jock, you know, and letters, you know, when you get the letters in high school, you had tons of football and baseball and basketball and didn't give me one gene, okay? But uh, so we had just moved. I was nine years old. We had moved from New York to Kansas. And we're try I'm trying to make new friends. This is weird to me. I've never been without friends living all around me. And so we're, I joined this baseball team to kind of make friends. And, and hopefully they're going to support me. And so it comes to this one game. And if you know anything about baseball, full count, meaning three balls, two strikes, the next pitch is going to be a ball or strike. I'm either going to be a hero or in the doghouse. Bases were loaded, so that means a guy's on first, on second, on third. If I hit a home run, we'll score four runs. This is my chance to meet all these, you know, be a hero for all these kids. Now, if you can picture this, the the you know the fence around the the back the backstop just crowded with people and parents and they're screaming there's no pressure for a 9 year old and this is like this next pitch and I'm there going man I am going to hit a home run my dad could have come up to me and said son this is too much pressure for you this is too stressful they're too loud and, and here let me swing for you but he can't I'd have to say, hey, Dad, it's for nine-year-olds. You're kind of too big. And so he allowed me to take that next swing. And they're all, I'm just probably over-dramatizing it, but it was, ah! And the pitcher threw it about 20 feet over my head. And I took the bat like a tomahawk, jumping. I said, oh, you're not denying me this. And I struck out. So it went from, ah! <laughs> and I look over at my dad. <laughs> He's got this smile. That's my boy. <laughs> so you're thinking, it's going to be an interesting ride home. It's amazing what some ice cream will do for a nine-year-old on the way home from striking out. But he let me strike out. Don't be surprised 
But there's times Jesus lets you strike out. Your pressure's on, you want to cave in. He goes, no, 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 this is perfect. You'll live. You'll grow. So then Jesus sees you in your struggle. Do you see him? See, this is what's so interesting. It's in the fourth watch, like we said. That's three to six in the morning. Okay, can you imagine how tired these guys are? They're rowing for hours in a storm. They're rowing, and they're not going anywhere. Talk about frustration. And then, you know, they've done all the feeding and all. It's just been a long day. And so that's when Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to come. So here's the irony of the whole picture. They're calling out for Jesus. When Jesus comes to them, they don't recognize Jesus. Nobody stood up and go, oh, look, Jesus is coming, walking on the water. No, they said, it's Casper, the friendly ghost. He says, it's a ghost coming over here. Now, maybe they had a preconceived idea. You ever do that? You go, oh, I, I know how Jesus is going to come to me in the storm. I know how he's going to provide for this bill. I know how he's going to heal me. I know how he's going to work out this relationship. And it doesn't do it like that. We've all been there. Where we have this preconceived idea. And because Jesus doesn't do it that way, we don't even recognize him when he does come to us. So, what do you do in a storm? This is our final point. What do you do in a storm? And this is the reason. What I do in a storm says what I really believe about Jesus. Am I calm? Eyes on him? Freaking out? What do I do? Jesus said it's I. Don't be afraid. Isn't it uh, 365 times the Bible says don't be afraid? So it's one for every day. I like to contrast Peter and the others. Do you ever put yourself in Peter's shoe? So there's 12 guys in this boat. Any of them could do this. Hey, if that's you, and you just step out of the boat. Have you ever pictured that? You ever think at some point he's going, Peter, what are you doing? You can't walk on water. People don't do things like that. What are you, you're going to embarrass yourself. Do you ever think he goes, like halfway there, he goes, am I actually going to do this? My son uh, used to live in Vegas. And one day he goes, hey, uh, I found a jump for me and you. We used to jump off the rock and stuff. And he goes, it's at Hoover Dam. And it's not, you don't jump off a Hoover Dam. That's suicide. But if you're on the dam and you go uh, towards the right, it goes down a bunch. It's a pretty high jump. And so we go to this place. And the first thing I do is throw off my slippers into the water, take about nine minutes to go down. And it just, the water looks strange when you're up there. It's just, I, this is high. And I just remember, he goes in, and I stood there, am I really going to do this? I mean, this is crazy. And I, so I did it, sprained my tailbone for a year, but what a rush. <laughs> Me and my son bonding, hurting like all, but bonding. Here's Peter. What, are you really going to do this? I mean, I could get this far and then go, huh, just joke, just joke. Are you really going to do this? And he steps out. Now, Peter has a testimony. The other 11 watch. Which one am I? Which one are you? 
you ever notice there's times that God wants us to move and there's just a window of time? It's just now or you're going to talk about an opportunity you missed. Just a window of time. Peter, this won't be here tomorrow. You've never faced it before. It's a window. It's now or you just, you blow it. So he goes in and he does it. But I love what he does first. So back to Matthew's account. Lord, if that's you. you know, well, what do you mean, if that's you? Well, we're making sure that you're not a ghost. But I want it to be you and not me. It's, 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 it's me. If I just want to look cool in front of the other guys. If I want to do some moonwalking on the, on the ocean, you know, and just like show off. Or especially if there's girls watching. I want to want, you know. If it's you, because I get in the way. I, I just love the attention. I just, I get too prideful. But if it's you, that changes everything. When's the last time you prayed that? Not on walking on water, but maybe what's your version? You ever say, Lord, if that's you, want me to share the gospel? <laughs> Has he ever said, no, 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 don't share the gospel? Don't minister to that person who might die tomorrow. Lord, if that's you, I don't really know what to say. Often I don't until I step out there. Step out on the water. And all of a sudden, the Lord might give you a word for that person. All of a sudden, something they say might open it up. Lord, if that's you, I'll share. Lord, if that's you and you want me to meet that financial need, I have the money in my pocket. I, I could give it to this person and really mess them up, just put them in a bigger bind, or it could be you. I'm just a steward of your funds, your money. So if it's you, Lord, if that's you, you want me to deny myself and volunteer? Yeah, a bunch of us are going to the beach. Uh, but then this thing came up. Somebody needs help moving or whatever or if that's you, I'll do it. Because there'll be such a great testimony someday. I'm, I might bless you and please you. If that's you, calling me to a time of prayer and fasting. You ever done that? This church has been used to help plant four other churches. Calvary, Honolulu. Calvary, Central Oahu. Calvary, Wahua. And, of course, the mission down the road. They were all at one time, not at the same time, but pastors on the staff. Really great. So when Rick Irons ventured out, he's Andy Irons' uncle, you know, the famous surfer. So he uh, ventures out to Mililani, and he calls me up one day. And this is back before cell phones. They were using real phones. And he goes, hey, Mike, have you heard about this group of pastors who are praying and fasting for 40 days leading up to Easter. No, no, no. What is that all about? And he's telling me all about it. I go, okay, so you're going to do it, Rick? He goes, well, actually, I think you're supposed to do it. Let me get this right. You're not doing it, but you want me to. It's do what I say and not what I do. And he goes, yeah, pretty much. I hung up and laughed. I literally said, I don't know if the secretary heard me, what a kook. And then it got me. Is that you? Lord, is that you? 
It was. And I actually did it for a, a number of years leading up to Easter. I'm over it now. I'm not even tempted to do it now. So we used to have people, we'd encourage before Easter, hey, the Wednesday before or the Wednesday of the week, everybody just pray and fast during lunch. I thought it was a great thing. So I get a, a phone call one night, and a gal who's very close to us said, I fasted today. Great, but I'm just not sure if it counted. I said, oh, of course it counted. Well, I'm not sure. I go, oh, oh boy. So when did you start your fast? 11 o'clock. A lunch fast? So, well, that's kind of a late. Well, so when did you break your fast? Two hours later at 1 o'clock. <laughs> Two-hour fast? Okay. Technically, it's lunchtime. So what did you pray for? He says, well, I took a nap. <laughs> you slapped from 12 to 1, or from 11 to 1, when, yeah, yeah, girl, that doesn't count. <laughs> but I think you get a plus that you, you probably gave God a laugh. But uh, Lord, if that's you. Don't you think this week he's going to put something in your, in your path? It might be him, it might not might be something you could say, Lord, if that's you, I'll share with that person. I'll try to meet that need. I'll go out. If that's you, that's what Peter did. Well, Jesus even helps us in our failures. So when Peter falls, okay, the obvious thing is he looks at the circumstances, not at Jesus. The Bible says fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12. And Oh, just uh, he looks at the circumstances, starts to sink. Jesus grabs him. Jesus grabs him, gets him into the boat. But what about the other 11? I mean, the story's not complete without going back to the 11 who are watching this whole thing. I, I think they're like, this is crazy. Well, in Matthew, it says they worship Jesus at that point. Meaning, they said, we know because only God gets worshiped, right? When an angel gets worshipped in the Bible, they get up, get up. I'm just like you. Worship God. So this is a way to prove that Jesus is God. He was worshipped. And he accepted it. And so here they are. They are worshipping him. But in Mark's account, it says they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled like, what? What just What did I just see? I want the instant replay. And it says this. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened or dull or numb. What is that supposed to mean? This happened right after the feeding of the 5,000. They saw Jesus do the miraculous. They saw him meet people's needs. They saw him as the God of power. They, they saw him in action. But they go, okay, but we left that back there. And so now we're in a different situation, and geographically different, and, and everything's different. And then you don't see the translation that the powerful Jesus there can be just as powerful here. And their hearts were numb. I just think that's a very convicting scripture. Their hearts were dull. 
that they can read their Bible and it does nothing. They can picture what Jesus is walking. It just does nothing. They, they don't say, oh, you know what? He can come to me in my storm. You know what? He's praying for me right now in my storm. You know what? I'm in the storm out of obedience. They don't make the connection. Their heart is hardened and dull. Here's how we end. You're going to have storms. All right? You don't get to choose your own storms. You might strike out. And you might, might be shocked that Jesus allows you to struggle, allows you to strike out. You might not recognize Jesus when he comes to you. But remember, he's making curly koa out of your life. And I love this one. What I do in a storm says what I really believe about Jesus Christ. One last thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I read you. I don't know if this is my words or copied somebody. I'm not claiming originality. But it seems almost prophetic. Jesus would say this. The very storm you're afraid of is the one I sent you into. Jesus would say, I see you in the storm. You're, you'll see me. I'll come to you at the right time. I've chosen you for this. Therefore, do not fear. So I have seen believers who enter the storm and do it right. Though there's a storm around them, there's a peace within them. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. They know he's the author and the finisher, the beginning and end of my salvation. He is in complete control. He can silence the storm with one word. Or he can strengthen me to overcome it. It doesn't matter. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And then finally, have you received Jesus into your boat? Because it says they gladly received him into their boat. It could be you're going through a storm today. Like I said, if not, give it a week or two. It'll be there. I wouldn't want to go through a storm without Jesus Christ. I have seen Jesus use storms to bring people to him. I'm looking at Choi's over there. One boy, right, his foot messed up. Dad was not going to have any of this Jesus stuff. He came to the Lord because God brought a storm in his life. I'm looking at some others of you. Financial storms, the what we, uh, the relationship storms, the life storms, and God uses those things to bring you to him. Maybe this is your day to say, Lord, you are in control of my life. I surrender completely. Would you cleanse me, fill me, and lead me in this life everlasting?